but it is very clear that actually this awareness of God being a father was not fully realized in the Old Testament. Actual fact, if you, if you read your Old Testament and New Testament transition, the very last verse of the Old Testament says that, that God will come and, and turn the hearts of the father to the, to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Malachi 4 verse 6. I'm going to grab my, my cell phone so that I can time myself that you guys can know that I actually am doing it. It may not mean anything, but um, at least you can see that it's here. All right, so it's just a very good thing to have available. Anyway, so, so the transition between the old and the new is actually in the new, there's going to come this new dispensation that God's saying, I will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the children's hearts to their fathers. And the way in which this is going to happen is that somebody will come from heaven to introduce us to the Father. It's a beautiful, beautiful concept of what Jesus has come to do. And so often we only focus on the salvation part of the, what Jesus accomplished. But you know what? Jesus had this incredible desire that no one has fully experienced. And he brought to us the greatest revelation that you and I can ever have. And that's the revelation of the Father. And I do believe that, that the world is poorer without this. Even as believers, we are poorer if we do not fully understand who the Father in heaven is. And I'll show you just a couple of things ago. So, uh, just in a while. So, 2,000 years ago, this is what Jesus came to do. He came to introduce us to the Father. And how's this? That the first thing that is said of Jesus, Luke 3, um, if you go there with me, it's a verse that's up there. How's the introduction... That, that the father has about his son. That Jesus comes and the one who introduces him to us is actually, there were prophets I know and John the Baptist was around and he said, behold the Lamb of God. But Jesus gets officially introduced to us in Luke chapter 3 and verse 22. And it says, well, let me read from verse 21. And now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. So how's this? Just amazing thing happening. And a voice from heaven coming saying, You are my beloved son. So who is speaking? The Father. If, the, some, if a person says, This is my son, obviously that is, this, that is a father speaking. So here we have the Trinity all in one moment together. Holy Spirit comes in the form of a dove. Father speaks from heaven about the Son. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all present at one moment. And the Father says, listen, this is the one that I love. Why? He hasn't done anything. He hasn't, he hasn't performed any miracles. He hasn't um, uh, preached and, and, and helped people from a state of of sinfulness into a state of righteousness. He hasn't done any of that yet, but the Father's pleased with him. He says, this is my, not only my son, this is my beloved son. And so what you'll find throughout the Gospels is that Jesus wants to show us that not only is he loved by his Father like this, but we also are loved the same way. And so it's an incredible thing that here we find that Jesus 
did not have to work and function for the Father's approval, but Jesus worked and functioned from the Father's approval. So you and I, we do not function and work and perform to gain His approval. We function from His approval that we already have. It's a massive thing. That, that is the key for us in life, is that all of us have this incredible need to be loved and accepted. And so often we think we have to perform and function to gain that. But here we are introduced to the way in which the Father speaks about His Son, and He speaks about you and me in the same way. So we do not function from, uh, for the Father's approval, but we function from the Father's approval. It's amazing that Jesus comes. And that's why when you study Jesus, you, are, you will be astounded by everything that He brings into earth and helps us to understand what heaven is like. Because there's one word that Jesus uses multiple times in the Gospels, and particularly in the book of John, over a hundred times in the book of John. He uses a word that was very unknown of and unheard of in the Old Testament. He uses the word Father multiple times. I, I, as I was just preparing for this, I literally went chapter to chapter in the book of John particularly, and I highlighted every time that the word Father, not just in terms of he would speak, your fathers did this, and yes, your father is so and so. He would say, my father. When he refers to his heavenly father, that's over a hundred times. And I counted every chapter where it would appear multiple times. And, and there were like seven chapters where it appears more than ten times. Up to 22 times in one of the chapters. And I thought, why would he use the word so often? Would it just be to just say Father? Or would there be something that he wants to teach us in the midst of a certain context that he is going through, a certain moment or certain experience that he's having and he's trying to teach us something and he uses the word Father multiple times so that we can relate that in the midst of something similar, we will learn from our Father in heaven. So what I want to do, I want to really just take you to some of these places. We, they just don't have enough time to do it. But, but in John 5, if you would turn with me to the book of John, a few places where John often refers to the Father to see why possibly he did this. And so in John, there's 15 times where, where the word Father appears. And, and there's a key verse in here, and it's in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of, him, of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So the context here, Jesus is responding to His identity being questioned by what He knows the Father feels about Him. So people come and question Jesus. Ah, come on. How can you be what you say you are? So Jesus finds his rescue, in a sense, or his, his redemption in saying, well, this is what I know the Father says about me. This is what I know the Father has told me to come and do. So he doesn't try to defend himself out of his own identity. Just, do you not know who I am? He says, you know what? I can do nothing of my own, but only what I see my father does. 
But whatever he does, I do too. So if you're challenging me on my identity, take it to the Father. <laughs> he's securing his relationship with the Father. He's saying, listen, I, I'm not arrogant, I'm not presumptuous, but this is who I am. I am what the Father says I am. We all, in a sense, go through a court of law every day where we have to defend ourselves to a certain extent. Where we have to say to be, this, this is who I am. This is who I am. But isn't it more redemptive and freeing to get to know what the Father says about us and live within the beauty of that? Jesus did. John 10, let me take you there. He has the word Father there 13 times um, that John recorded. And here in verse 17 to 18, the whole context here is Jesus is referring to the security the sheep can have with him as their chief shepherd. And he says, you know what? I want you to feel safe. None of us, or most of us, are often in a place, in a state of, concern and worry and anxiety isn't it where you just oh my goodness this has happened again and i don't know how i'm going to deal with this and and that that's a big thing and this is an issue and jesus is actually saying to us you know what i've come i've been charged listen to verse 17 in john 10 he says for this reason the father loves me because i lay down my life that i may take it up again no one takes it from me but i lay down i lay it down on my own of my own accord I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And the context is this whole thing that he's saying, I'm the good shepherd. He's saying, the Father has charged me to come and settle you. A shepherd, a, 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 shepherd, a chief shepherd, a shepherd comes to settle the sheep. He say, don't worry. It's going to be okay. Jesus says, I was, I was charged, I was instructed by the Father to come and present this to you, to settle you. Because the Father wants you to live in peace. That's what the Father has for us. Jesus was charged to come and do that for us. And so if we're unsettled and, and anxious and, and worried, we're not allowing Jesus to actually do what he's been charged to do. The Father has sent him. To settle you and me. In the midst of a, I mean, we're saying that song, isn't it? I'll raise a hallelujah in the middle of my enemy and whatever else. I'll raise a hallelujah, not out of just despair. I'll raise a hallelujah saying, hey, in the midst of this, I can sing a song because there's peace inside of me. Jesus taught us so clearly that he is in the storm, but yet the storm is not inside of him. The third portion that I want to use from the book of John is the one where it appears the most times. 22 times in John chapter 14. And, and there's some incredible um, verses here that I'd love to read. But verse 1, listen to what Jesus is going to talk about. He mentions the word Father 22 times in this chapter. And the chapter starts with this line. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. So when he says, when he speaks about this, that your hearts are troubled, 22 times does he bring the word Father in. <laughs> Come on, make some deductions from that, would you? 
Read into the context of the Bible. Let the Bible interpret the Bible for you. That when you read and you see 22 times, what is God trying to say to us from that? Is it just in a repetitive mode? No, no. Every word is inspired and breathed by God to do something in our lives. And we can so easily skip and say, well, I know it's like 110 times in the book of John. What's the big deal? No, no, there is a big deal. And we've got to go find the purpose. And I'm saying to you, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. And then he comes up with Father, 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 multiple times. He's actually saying, reach out to the Father, would you? Jesus now clearly helps the people see that that actually in this verse, that their destination is not a place, but their destination is a person. We live as though heaven is the ultimate thing that we, that we ought to live for. No, no, heaven is not our ultimate thing. The Father is. The Father is. Let me show you. In verse 2 it says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So he says, the place is, yes, it's heaven, but the person is what it's all about. He reads, or we read further in, in verse 6, it says, And Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now we stop there. Too often we stop there. It goes on further, it says, No one comes to the Father except through me. So the journey that we're on is to know the Father. Carries on. It says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do, not, you do know him and have seen him, because obviously Jesus is around. And so Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So the focus is the Father. The context is we're troubled. We don't know how we're going to deal with this. He says, look at me. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. I have come to introduce you to the Father. So Jesus confirms. And even later on in this verse or this chapter, it confirms that in verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. So Jesus is saying, listen, the whole thing is that the Father has sent me so that you can be adopted and not be orphans. And I want to say this to you, that that it's incredible that in the scripture we find that, that Jesus himself taught us. He said, listen, the Holy Spirit will come and he will lead you to me. All right? See that Jesus said he will teach you and he will show you things that, that about me. And Jesus says, I have come to actually take you to the Father. So we, we, we get born again, Holy Spirit. And he's also the one that helps us to see the beauty of, of, of our need for redemption. But Holy Spirit leads us to, to Jesus so that we can see that our salvation is secure in him. We don't have to perform. 
And then Jesus is the one that says, I need you to help, to help you see who the Father is. Now, often we stop here at salvation and we say, hey, that's great. I'm saved. And it's not, you know, we've got to do something. We've got to just experience something more. We become born again, but we do not fully experience what it means to be sons and daughters of God. So this morning we celebrate that there's a Father in heaven who wants us to know Him personally. And that our journey of salvation is not totally fulfilled until we have journeyed from, from Jesus to the Father. Jesus says, I'm the way to, to the Father. Don't stop with me. There are many books written about Holy Spirit. There are many books written about Jesus. Not so many books written about the Father. And I think that this is one of the things that, that we miss out the most in our lives. The greatest revelation, I believe, that every born-again believer needs to constantly have in their lives is a revelation of who the Father is. So we celebrate Him as our Father. We also want to celebrate the fact that we have physical fathers amongst us. But how do we celebrate that in the midst of this perfect image of this Father in heaven that just loves us unconditionally? I want to first of all take you to 1 Corinthians as we talk about celebrating fathers or fathering. 1 Corinthians, Paul, he considered himself to be a spiritual father. We do not have proof that Paul was ever married. And so when he talks about fathering, it's, it's a... It's a spiritual thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll read to you from verse 14. It says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, of believers in Corinth, but to admonish you as my beloved children. All right? For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And then he says, I urge you then to be imitators of me. And Paul says, we have a problem, Houston. We have many guides. Some translations would say we have many sons. We have many followers. We have many people that are tutors. And say, yeah, yeah, well, do it this way. And in actual fact, in the Hebrew context, some of the slaves were used as tutors for the kids. So he says there are many of them around, many of those guides around, tutors. But you know what? We actually have a massive need here. We have a need for fathers. There are many men that go around and say, Hi, I, am, I have children. That's easy to do and to say. But there are not many men here on earth that are true fathers. Do you understand the difference? Many men can claim to have children. And this morning we stop to honor the men amongst us that have become more than just men with children. We honor and we recognize that you have moved, and I trust that you have. You have moved away from just being a man with children, but you've moved to being a father to children. And some of you have had your children move on already, and they have even become fathers, but you will never stop being a father. And no matter how old your children will become. I recognize my dad. He's 86. He's still my father. And I will phone him later to recognize and honor and respect him for being my dad. And I have the joy of that. And many of you don't have that. I understand for various reasons. But 
our point is that there's a massive need for real fathers. As much as we celebrate and give you a few pieces of biltong, we want to celebrate you being a father because there are many tutors out there, but not many fathers. And I sincerely also believe that you don't have to be a physical father to enable you to be a spiritual father. There are many of you that may never have physical sons and daughters, but you're able to be a father to many by the way in which you say, well, listen, follow me as I follow Christ. And maybe in that I can father you. And I want to encourage us that as a community of believers, we need more fathers even here. I'm not saying go and have children now physically. Those of you that are unmarried, those of you who are married, some of you got to stop because I think there are too many children. Not too many, but there are many children there already. The point is this, I, I think we have a desperate need for more spiritual fathers and mothers in the body of Christ. Everybody's just saying, well, let, you know, let the pastor be that. No, no, no. We equip you to do that. We equip you to be fathers and mothers. And we equip you to do it at home where obviously your children are, but even beyond that. And there's a world that's desperate for that. And so the reality is this, that at the moment, we know that our world is not filled always with the greatest dads. And that so often it is that we, that we pursue or do not pursue God the Father because of what happens amongst us here as fathers on earth. I've got a few couple of, couple of nice definitions of dads from a guy just in the week. I'm not as clever to come up with these T's. But the world is filled with these kind of dads. First of all, we have tragic dads. And that's the reality that many times dads pass away. And people grow up without a dad. And that's obviously tragic. But that doesn't ruin your life forever. Because we have a Father in Heaven. And so that's why it's so beautiful, that psalm that we quoted earlier on. God said, I will be a father to the fatherless. He will always step in. And even where we make mistakes, and you will see how we can make mistakes as fathers and even mothers. So they, we have tragic dads that they loved you. Maybe you didn't even know that, but they were never part of your life. And that's a reality that some people have to live with. Then we have the second T, which is we have terrible dads. Dads that not physically have passed away, but emotionally have disconnected, abandoned, moved away, forsaken, and sometimes even present, but actually mostly absent, too busy, not interested. Yes, I have children, but I don't care. And so we live in a world with that. And so some of us sometimes battle because we've grown up in such an environment and we don't know who we are because we never had a present father to help us. Father in heaven says, I'm the perfect one. Come to me. Jesus says, I will, I will point you to the Father. So our journey here on earth is actually, no matter where we've gone up, grown up, and whether good or bad, we always need to pursue the Father. And so as a church, we, we, we need to help one another towards the best example there is. Because unfortunately, there are terrible examples out there. And I, if you had been a terrible example, God can change that and redeem it. And bring about something new. Fathers that would 
And I have heard stories like this, and it's so atrocious, you can't even repeat it, but some fathers that would sit with a gun in their son's mouth and say, you know why I'm not going to pull this trigger? Because you're not worth the bullet. Real story. And how that son would grow up, or that child would grow up with this incredible rejection because of the terrible example of fathering. We also have another T, and that's uh, the tough one, the tough dad that, that's just domineering and, and overbearing and pushing and, and forcing the child to be the best in whatever they can be in sport and, and, and just because the dad wants to also possibly sometimes look good and, and forcing the, the children into stuff. That's the tough dad. You know, cowboys don't cry kind of dad. You know, never emotion shared. It's just tough boy, you got to be strong. World is out there. World is tough. You've got to be tough too. And I understand that there's got to be a lion inside of us, but there's also got to be the reality that, sure, you know what? We've got to soften up a bit as well and, and experience the grace of God. This is the tough dad. Then we also have the opposite of that is a tender dad that, that's soft and sweet and kind, but often weak and not leading. Just around, present. Buys whatever needs to be bought. It's great. But never makes plans, never leads. Much liked, but not respected. He's not leading. And ultimately, we're hoping that they will be terrific dads. Dads that are not perfect, but the one who expresses his love for you. The one who loves God with you. The one who leads a godly life. The one who's emotionally real, not perfect, is faithful to your mom, faithful to God, faithful to you. And even in that, there are things that go wrong. I understand. But the world is full of tutors, full of men who have children. But the world is looking for fathers. And in the church, we're looking for fathers. One of the things that is so unfortunately absent in this world is men who are prepared to be the father that God wants them to be. Not what your culture says you should be. Not what your peers are doing. But what the Bible says you ought to be doing. That's the kind of fathers that we need to have. And these are the fathers that we want to celebrate. And many of you are fathers like that. Well done. Don't stop. Don't stop fathering when your children leave home either. Because there are young people around. There's a generation that needs to be fathered. And you know what? When the Old Testament ends with the hearts of the fathers turned towards the sons and their children, guess who initiates it? It starts with the father. It says the father's hearts will turn towards their children. And then subsequently the hearts of the children will turn towards their fathers. So maybe there's something that we as fathers and even as mothers need to initiate. Don't wait for them to come to you. Why don't you reach out to them? That's what the Father in heaven did, by the way. He came to us. Our hearts are turned against Him. That's the whole, time, whole, that's the whole New Testament there for you. That last verse of the Old Testament leads us into what happened in the New Testament. That Jesus came to turn our hearts towards Him by His heart turned towards us first. And then lastly, we... We need to celebrate also sons and daughters. 
So all of you have a role. We, on a Father's Day like this, we're like, great, let's talk to the fathers. Let's encourage them. Let's get them going. Let's get them to be fathers. But all of us need to be encouraged to celebrate what God has made you and I to be. Before we are fathers, all of us are sons and daughters. You know that? <laughs> and it's the greatest role that you can actually fulfill. There's a call for us to all live under His love as a Father in order for us all to function effectively in what God has called us to do. And if we do not live as sons and daughters, we are ineffective in what God has called us to do. Because then we constantly would live for His approval instead of living from His approval. And so much of what we often do is we live for this. We, we try too hard. So hard. We try to do this. God, did you see I was in church on Sunday? Did you see I do this? I did this and I done, I've done that and etc. etc. I'm trying to get, gain His approval. Why well, He's already said, you're my beloved child. And this is what the scripture says. In John 14, I quoted that to you earlier on, where Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans. The application of this is that every person on earth is born without knowing their Father in heaven. Each one of us are born as orphans. Do you know that? We're all born in a state of orphanhood without a father, our father in heaven. He loves us. He had already done everything to let us come out of our orphan state, but we need to apply it. The application is not what you do. The application is what he has done in our lives. And this is what Paul says in Romans. If we can turn there. In Romans chapter 8. Portions that we often read. But you know what? This is the thing that will change our lives. In Romans 8 verses 14. Paul confirms to us that we are therefore not orphans. We're no longer that. We're adopted. If you've applied what Jesus has done on the cross for you. This is who you are. Romans 8 and verse 14 says. For we all for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. How's this? You and I are no longer in this state of what the Greek word actually is, orphanos, which really just means to be fatherless. So Jesus, through Paul, speaking to us here, yeah, he's saying, listen, you've got to understand, you're either a slave in bondage, fatherless, or you're either a son or daughter that lives in the freedom of knowing that you are loved and accepted by the Father. Where are you? Where are you? No matter what earthly fathering example we have had and still have, that does not determine our spiritual state as sons and daughters. And unfortunately, so much, the, the experiences that we have gone through and are going through here on earth determine so much of what we think about the Father in heaven. And God wants to redeem us from it. And one of the ways in which we are redeemed is when we forgive our earthly fathers for their 
shortcomings. That releases us from this bondage of slavery and brings us into this beauty of what, it call, what Paul says is sonship. Now that's the greatest celebration that we can have. When you truly walk into what it means to be a son and daughter of God. Now this is an understanding that needs to grow in our hearts. It doesn't come, oh yeah, I got it. No, it needs to grow upon you as you meditate on it. As you, for instance, go and read John and just see how many times and, and understand why Jesus uses the word Father so much. So we can still live and think, even though we're saved and born again, we can still live and think as spiritual orphans in the midst of this great truth. You... Just as a child can feel like an orphan in a natural family because they are neglected and ignored and the home is dysfunctional, you have two scenarios here. There's a, there's a family where maybe the child is physically part of the family, born from the father and the mother, but somehow ignored and rejected for whatever reason, feels like an orphan. Like, I don't have a place here. They don't care about me. So that's physical state that they're in, being ignored makes them feel unwanted. Or you can have a person who's physically adopted and just kind of fill the numbers and, and yet move from an orphanage into a real family, but not fully accepted into that family. You're not going to get our surname. You're not going to be able to call my dad your dad. Simple things like that. So even though... Move from one home to another, there's still this status and this, this, this bondage upon them of what it means to be an orphan. And the same can be said and can be experienced for us as born-again believers. We have come to salvation. Holy Spirit has led us to Jesus. Our sins are forgiven, but we feel unwanted. We feel unloved. We feel that we have no place. And so subsequently what happens is that I live with this thing that I've got to prove myself. As a spiritual orphan, this is some of the things, some of the signs perhaps of a spiritual orphan is that I may be a Christian who profess outwardly to know God as my father, but experience an internal contradiction to that belief. I say, yes, he's my father, but I don't really know it. I don't believe that. I don't really believe that, he's, that he cares. It's someone who has not fully accepted the truth that they are sons and daughters of God. Someone who cannot comprehend that they are loved and accepted unconditionally. You don't have to work for his approval. You live from his approval. People who do not feel accepted and feel the need to prove them, they themselves, they're worth, they're desperate for attention. It's often people who live like orphans in a family. This is a family of God. We shouldn't have orphans here. All of you have different surnames and names and whatever else. But before God, we are sons and daughters of God. We're accepted on basis of what Jesus has done for us. And Jesus wants us to know that there's a Father who loves you. No matter what people have said about you and will continue to say about you, that doesn't determine who you are. Your worth is not found in that. Your worth is found in what Jesus, through the Father, says about you. We live with a deep sense of jealousy. You know the story of the, of the elder brother in, the, in Luke 15? But the prodigal son returns, 
And the older brother is jealous for what the father is doing for the younger brother, in spite of all of his mistakes. He's like, he's sneering at him. He's just jealous. Why? Maybe he has not fully understood that he is a son in the house. And then no matter what he does, doesn't give us a free ticket to do whatever we want to do. He's accepted and loved. And when we're constantly living amongst people, we're jealous. Oh, did you, did you see that they got? Or did you see that he invited so and so and they didn't give me something? Or whatever it is that we come up with reasons for being jealous. It could be based upon this thing that you've not completely understood that you're a son and a daughter. Not based on what you have done. Not your performance. But the Christ performance. So that your approval is not for. It's not, it's, it's not based on what you have done, but what he has done. We often focus on, on performance to, to be loved. This can end up in us living in isolation or independence. We're like, nobody loves me. I'm just going to go on to my own. And I'll just withdraw from people. Deep down, the orphan does not feel as though he or she belongs in the family. They withdraw. There's a sense of fear and insecurity, a constant need for reassurance and recognition. You haven't phoned me in a week. You haven't said hello. You haven't done this for me. You have not confirmed again how you feel about me. Maybe those are just signs of us still living like orphans in this world where Father God out of heaven says, I love you. So I want to encourage you as I close. We've got to celebrate the Father because <laughs> there's no one like Him. We're going to celebrate fathering. Well done for what you're doing. We want to celebrate sons and daughters. All of you are sons and daughters. And you've got to live. And I, we have to each pursue the full truth of what it means to be a son and a daughter. That it's not based on how good or how bad you are. It's based on how good Jesus Christ is. And how much the love of the Father is extended towards you and me. We have fruit today all around the world of people that are trying to be loved, be accepted, because they've not fully received. And I'm talking within the church. The world... It's far away from this, and we've got to help them towards what it means to be loved by God, what Jesus has done for us. But, but yeah, we've just got to start within the church. We've got to talk to each other here and say, are you living as an orphan? Or are you living as a true son and daughter of God? You can go and measure that. It is. It's, it's measurable stuff, this. It's not just have I got all the scripture verses, with all due respect to those of you that do that. You got it all over your house and you know in your kitchen or whatever else. It's are you living within the reality of that and the truth of that? How do you think about yourself and others from the truth that you are displaying everywhere or not? That's where the real proof is and the test is. Are you living? Closing question is just that. I'm gonna celebrate with you today. Can you celebrate being a son and a daughter? We've celebrated the fathers. It's great. Box tick. We're celebrating the father always. But can you celebrate being a son and a daughter? Or are you still caught in this slavery thing? 
that Paul refers to as bondage. Instead of being able to say, I'm adopted as a true son and daughter of God. The fruit that comes from that is incredibly, it's remarkable. It is life-changing for the people around you. Orphans are burdens to our society. We've got to reach out to them. Amen? It's not easy. And there are many institutions that do an incredible job. But for various reasons, people pass away and whatever. And I've, I've seen, I've got friends in South Africa that have done incredible things about reaching out to orphans. But essentially, there's a burden on the society, on the community. Physically. But I think there's also a burden spiritually on the church. When sons and daughters that are supposed to be sons and daughters do not live as sons and daughters, but be live as orphans. And we're constantly having to not say the wrong thing because we may offend. We may hurt. And I understand we've got to watch our speech and be graceful in how we address one another. But you know what? The reality is if we're constantly living from a place of insecurity as an orphan, no matter what people will say, it'll hurt you. Always be, oh, you know what? That one didn't do this for me and that one hasn't done that. And don't move out from that state. It's not something that you physically just have to pray for. You've got to live within the reality. Oh, no, pray for it definitely. But you've got to let the truth of God. That's why Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth about Him taking you to the Father, that's the greatest truth that you and I need. That's the greatest truth. And, and you will, if you just sit before God and say, God, please show me. I trust Holy Spirit to help you, not to accuse you, because that's what, what He will do. Holy Spirit will never accuse you of being a, an orphan. He will convict you. So even this morning, why don't you just close your eyes and let's, let's finish in this way, allowing God just to minister to us about this. That this is maybe the beginning for some of you today to recognize that maybe I have lived for too long as an orphan. I've thought like an orphan. And we're not condemning those that are physically orphaned, by the way. We understand that things happen in life and, and that has consequences. And we need to reach out to people that are physically orphaned. And praise the Lord for the incredible work that so many organizations and families have done. But as a church, in a sense, we are also that, that organization, that organism that reaches out into the hearts of people and say, if you are orphaned, in terms of just feeling unwanted and unloved and rejected and no place in the family, we want to help you to understand that the truth of God's word sets you free from that lie. And this morning, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will reach down deep into the hearts of every person here. That in, for whatever reason, they feel like an orphan. Maybe it even stems from how they grew up. That there wasn't attention, affection, affirmation given and they grew up without that love and they come into the body of christ they get born again but they still feel unloved 
They have not tapped into the Father's love. This morning, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will lure people, lure us, draw us to the Father. Would you draw us out of a place of bondage, like Paul talks about in Romans 8, and draw us into the place of total acceptance, complete freedom, where we can say, Abba, Father. You are our Father in heaven. We can have this intimate relationship with you. And it sets us free from condemnation, guilt, and shame. So this morning, Father, I pray that if there's any person that needs to walk out of that place of darkness, of despair, and of rejection, that you will pull them, Lord God, from there, convict them, and help them to see that there's a better place. There's a better way of living. And I pray, just as Jesus said to the, to the people in John, He says, I will explain the Father to you plainly. <laughs> I will explain Him to you plainly. That you will see how beautiful He is. I pray, Holy Spirit, won't you come and explain the Father to us plainly. That we will walk into the spacious place where we encounter our Father who art in heaven. Lord, I pray that for people, for all of us, that the Father heart of God will become so real. Become so real. Help us to move under this, in a sense, a curse, because in the end of Malachi it says, if we do not have the fathers turn to their children, the children to the fathers, I'll actually come, they'll come a curse on the earth. And maybe there's certain things that we live under, Lord God, that you want to bring us away from. I pray that we will move out into this spacious place of walking with the Father. Pray, Holy Spirit, won't you do that right now, even? To open up our hearts. Open up our hearts to Him. Just allow Holy Spirit to stir your heart that there's more. That there's more. Maybe you've started tasting a bit of who the Father is, but He's saying there's more. Maybe you've never tasted anything of that. And He's calling you into a place where He wants to reveal Himself to you as your Father. I pray, Holy Spirit, won't you call people into that right now? My friend, I, I want to ask you, just keep your eyes closed. Just keep your eyes closed. Just in your heart, if you, if you recognize that oh, there's, there's certain signs of, of orphanhood upon me, I, I think of myself not as an orphan, but there are certain mannerisms and certain patterns of that, and certain signs of it. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to think like that. I don't want to work for God's approval. I want to live from God's approval. Just simple things that you realize, your God, you're speaking to me. I need to be free from an old way of thinking. I want to think like you think about me as your son, as your daughter. If that's you, just say, God, please, please take me on this journey towards Understanding, knowing, experiencing the Father.
Don't you just raise your hand and say, yeah, Lord, this is me. Yeah, this is me, Father. I need, I need you to take me on a journey. Just raise your hand. That's great. That's it. That's great. Many people are just raising their hands and saying, Father, I want to I be on this journey. I'll be on this journey. And so, Father, I thank you for hands raised, hearts lifted, and hearts crying out to you this morning, saying, I want to be on this journey. And I pray, Lord, that you will take us on this journey. Each one in a unique way, because you know exactly where they are and where we are. I pray, Father, that none of us will, will run away from letting you show us and reveal to us more of who the Father is. And I pray, Father, for grace upon people this morning, that if they need to forgive their earthly fathers for things that have gone wrong, that are actually preventing them from fully experiencing you as their father, I pray that there will be forgiveness spoken. Lord, release will come. I pray even today, Lord God, as we celebrate Father's Day, that where people can speak to their fathers and just respect and honor and value them, Lord God, I pray that they will do it. Maybe they've never done it. Maybe it was just always difficult. I trust you, Holy Spirit, that you will lead us to a place where we can make a phone call, go and visit, do whatever it is, if we still possibly can do that, and say, Dad, I just want to love you. I appreciate you. Father, I trust for that. I also trust that fathers and mothers will turn their hearts towards their children so that the children can actually grow in their understanding of who their Father in heaven is. Father, I trust you for that. Thank you that we can celebrate. Celebrate together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.